Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. The show with the host that when he grows up, someday he wants to be a whiny teenage girl on Twitter. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I'm your host, Brian Levine, coming to you from the recording studio built here at my home office just outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. And uh, remember, you must be of legal smoking age wherever you are in order to listen to this show and no whiny teenage girls. Um, But on this week's show in Pipe Parts, we're going to talk specifically about tongue bite and uh, maybe how to uh, how to not get it uh, I can tell you how to get it but uh, we'll talk about uh, tongue bite and how not to get it my guest is Robert Long of Law Dog Pipes and uh, always enjoy talking to Robert uh, music a fairly stout mailbag too and a rant all that coming up on this week's episode of the Pipes Magazine radio show and uh, remember, uh, yeah, listen. Uh, the uh, normally, normally I would be leaving for Chicago on uh, this uh, this day, and uh, or the day after. And you know, in light of the world, well, I'm not going to Chicago. So what I did was uh, you know, back in uh, January, February, I started saving up money for Chicago. Well, I have been uh, spending it and uh, acquired some new pipes and tobaccos over the uh, past couple of months so uh you know if you're if normally you would have gone to the chicago pipe show with uh, some of your favorite pipe makers or uh pipe vendors in mind well check them out you know hit them up online and uh, or call your favorite brick and mortar and uh, buy yourself something you know don't forget to don't forget to keep the keep the new pipes and stuff coming. I'm really happy with the uh, with the three acquisitions that I've got, and you know when we talked about the tobacco that I bought. So uh, don't forget about that. All right, let's get the show rolling. So everybody, sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in, and here we go. This is Phil Morgan, General Manager of Missouri Meerschaum Corn Cob Pipes in Washington, Missouri. Our mission since 1869 has been to produce great smoking pipes that anyone can afford. We guarantee our pipes won't be your most expensive, but they just might be the ones you smoke the most. At Missouri Meerschaum Company, we don't just sell our corn cob pipes. We grow them, make them, and smoke them. Missouri Meerschaum, Washington, Missouri, since 1869. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, and uh, in the past couple of weeks, I've had this discussion about tongue bite, um, what it is and how to prevent it. Well, I I don't know exactly how to prevent it, but I'm going to give you some ideas. So tongue bite or mouth burn, whatever it happens to be, is when we as uh, we as pipe smokers are sitting down with our pipes and you know the pipe just tends to bite us back uh, and you get the you get a you know you get these inflamed uh, or sensitive parts on your tongue or on the roof of your mouth whatever it may be wherever that point of contact is uh, tongue bite is caused by excessive moisture in the tobacco or in the pipe and I think it's also related to our smoking styles. So we'll take it in two parts, the smoking style and the, and the, the moisture in the tobacco. First, with the moisture in the tobacco, so what happens is as you smoke that pipe, you heat it up, you heat up the tobacco, and the tobacco actually burns off the moisture in the bowl. And one of the ways it comes out is up through the smoke, it comes out in a steam. And that steam is, obviously, for it to be a steam, it's hotter than boiling. So you want to be careful with the moisture level of the tobacco. If your tobacco is smoking too moist, well, you know, let it sit out and dry down before you smoke it. 
uh, maybe even do the uh, do a charring light on it and then let that bowl sit for four, five, six hours, whatever that time frame works for you. Um, I regularly will smoke a part of a bowl at night and then leave it the next day and come back to it and start it up again. And I like it even more. So that's one way, you know, besides drying the tobacco down, do the charring light on it and then let it sit overnight or for a couple hours, whatever it is that just helps it dry down. Uh, the other thing you can do is make sure that the internals of your pipe are nice and clean and that there's, uh, you know, and no little gaps or airways in there. Um, if you're dealing with a uh, with you know a pipe that's got a uh, got a spit well in it or something like that, well, just make sure you clean that out in between every pipe or so. Uh, if you're like me, and when you smoke the pipe, you during the smoke you run a pipe cleaner up the stem, and I use the same pipe cleaner both ends of it multiple times up into the stem all the way into the bottom of the bowl, and that just helps grab whatever moisture's in there. All right, so you got those, you got those methods, and that will help. Uh, the smoking style of it is uh, there's a couple of things that can happen. So one, are you packing the pipe too tight? If you pack the pipe too tight, the you have to draw on it harder to get the smoke through. You're going to get a more condensed area of heat in there. It's going to be a strong. It's going to be a hotter, uh, a hotter heat, <laughs> a higher level of heat because you've got more tobacco in there and you're pulling on it harder. So then the pipe's going to get overheated, and you can feel that in the bowl most of the time. But as the pipe gets hotter, so does the smoke coming up the stem. All right. So you've got that. So make sure that you're not packing the pipe too tight and that you're having to pull too hard on it. Uh, make sure that you're not packing the pipe too loose either, because too loose will allow a lot of air to come through and get that tobacco going really quick. And you'll get a hot, but mostly a drier hot out of that. So make sure that you're packing it dead on correct. Uh, here's the other thing that came to me as I was playing around with this in my head this morning uh maybe you've switched tobaccos or switched styles of tobaccos and you're switching from a uh, an english to an aromatic or you know whatever you're doing you're switching and you're not getting that same flavor so maybe you are puffing and pulling harder trying to get more impact from what should you know what is a milder blend than what you're used to so just be aware of you know what you're smoking and the cadence of your smoke with it uh, i will warn you that you know virginias tend to smoke hotter so with a virginia you've got to back down on it and you've got to smoke it a lot slower uh, if you and again if you're going to a lighter blend a or a less impactful blend maybe a virginia perique to just a straight virginia well, you're going to get more delicate flavors, so you want to be careful and watch out for that more delicate nature of it. Um, personally, I tend to get tongue bite when I'm involved in something and I'm smoking a tobacco that I'm not used to or, you know, and, and I lose track of what I'm doing. Uh, to me, one of the keys to tongue bite is taking the pipe out and letting it sit down and stop smoking for 10, 15 minutes. So, you know, you pick up the pipe, you puff on it, and then you put it down for a little bit and let it cool down. That helps alleviate it. Um, other things that may play into it is your hydration level. Are you hydrated? Is your mouth dry? You know, your mouth should be nice and moist and that will help protect all the little, uh, all the little skin parts inside your mouth from, any uh, from tongue bite as much as possible uh is it possible that you know maybe just you and that tobacco don't agree with each other that's for you to determine but try those tips with tongue bite and uh, if you're suffering from it or if you've uh, changed tobaccos and you're finding that try those tips before you uh, give up on that tobacco try it in different pipes some pipes may bite with a blend where another one may work perfectly fine. So there you go. If you have any comments or suggestions for uh, uh, alleviating tongue bite or, uh, you know, 
or how you deal with it, email me, brian at pipesmagazine.com or go to pipesmagazine.com and post them right there on the Pipes Magazine radio show page. And in just a moment, Robert Lawing. This is Internet Radio. Being at the forefront of craft tobacco production for over 20 years, we've been involved in some rather interesting projects at Cornell and Dale. From the Cellar Series to the Small Batch Project, we're extremely proud of how far we've come. So moving forward, we wanted to take it back to basics, and that's what the Burley Flake Series is all about. Burley is an underrated varietal, but there is a ton of nuance there. Using various condimental tobaccos to accentuate different aspects of the air-cured leaf, each blend in this series is intended to showcase different individual subtleties inherent to Burley. It's a simple concept, one that I think really speaks to the essence of what we do at C&D, as a crew of folks who just love tobacco. It's also really good. Cornell and Deal's Burley Flakes series, wherever fine tobaccos are sold. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, and joining us is uh, a friend, a neighbor, uh, somebody you will have seen at a lot of the pipe shows lately, but it's the uh, the one and only Law Dog, better known as uh, Robert Lawing of uh, Troy, North Carolina. Law Dog, wel- welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Well, Brian, I appreciate the opportunity to be here, and I look forward to the... Uh to, to the interview and the only reason you're on here is because i love your wife dearly well you know i figured you were getting to the bottom of the barrel if you asked me to be on here oh no 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 i went to the top of the barrel for your for your lovely wife so that was you know <laughs> she went to the bottom of the barrel when she was looking for men but had she been there a little later she would have found me there where my wife found me <laughs> well you know we all have a station in life, and I guess I found mine. Yeah. All right. So first of all, you you go by Law Dog Pipes, uh, Law Dog, everything else. You, you know, we'll we'll just get this out of the way. You uh, you used to work in uh, law enforcement in a small town here in North Carolina, right? I did in Troy, North Carolina. That that's where I started my law enforcement career at the ripe young age of 39 years old and and what got you into law enforcement well you know long story short i always wanted to be a law enforcement officer but my father being an attorney mm-hmm. advised against it heavily and then when i graduated college i went into the furniture industry Oh boy! Moved to Batesville, Indiana, and worked for a company out there. It was turned around and sold, and I moved back to North Carolina and worked for a company called Pioneer's Furniture Company. And when I got back to North Carolina, I decided I didn't really want to go back outside the state to live. And I had an interview on a Saturday morning. And I walked into the furniture company for the interview, and there was a young lady sitting behind the reception desk that had the most gorgeous green eyes I'd ever seen in my life. Uh oh. And her name was and her name was Lynn. <laughs> and after thirty six years, we're we're still married, and I'm, I met her actually uh, at Piner's Furniture Company. So the bottom of the barrel came to her. The bottom of the barrel came to her, and, you know, I never thought about love at first sight, but it, but it sure did hit me like a ton of bricks. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, the furniture business, the, the, the furniture business was good, uh, but it was a lot of long hours, and the company was sold. So I went into the insurance business. Ugh. Oh, and, sorry. And fade into the insurance and, and and financial products business for about, I don't know, 15 or 18 years. And when I was with an insurance company, I was involved in a fundraiser that I started when the drug dog here in Montgomery County uh, passed away. 
So we started raising money to assist the sheriff's office, or the sheriff's office in uh, raising enough money to get another drug dog. And I started doing ride-alongs with them, with the sheriff's office and narcotics enforcement and search warrants and things like that. And it just it got in my blood. And at the ripe young age of 39 years old, I went into law enforcement, left the insurance career. Now, there's a TV show on right uh, that came out about a year or two ago called The Rookie, and he's a 40-something-year-old rookie police officer. Uh, not a lot of y'all go into law enforcement at, at the ripe old age of 39, do you? Uh, no. As a matter of fact, I think I was probably the oldest one in, in my basic law enforcement training class, and... Um, I was thinking to myself, you know, who's going to hire a 40-year-old rookie? <laughs> but one, one of the instructors in, in the class, he and I hit it off, and he happened to be the, the chief of police at, at, at uh, Troy Police Department. Uh, and he hired me right, right when I graduated from, from rookie school. So did you, uh, did you walk a beat? I mean, Troy's not that big. What, four traffic lights back then? Yeah, well, it, it still has four traffic lights. You know, walk, walking the beat, as you would think about it, in a big city was, you know, was part of it, checking businesses, checking the downtown businesses. But uh, normally during, during a 12-hour shift, I would probably drive um, 125, 130 miles doing calls and checking businesses and just being seen. <laughs> Now we'll uh, we'll skip to the end of the of your career because you uh, you kind of moved up through the department when you before you retired. Yeah, uh, Troy Police Department. I think I was there for about eight years, and then I got the opportunity to become basic law enforcement training director at the local community college, which is I was responsible for for training the rookies that uh, that were going into law enforcement. And, you know, I really did did enjoy that part of it. Uh, but, you know, once it gets in your blood being on the street, it's kind of hard to get out of it. <laughs> yeah. A friend of mine ran for sheriff, uh, won the election, and asked me to be his chief deputy. And so I left the, the training part of it full time and went to becoming the chief deputy down here in Montgomery County. So... That leads me to say you were his uh, you were his Barney Fife. Did he give you more than one bullet? No, I, no, I had to. I only had one bullet, and I had to keep it in my shirt pocket. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Uh, the Andy Griffith Show is part uh, part comedy, part fiction, but uh, based in a lot of reality for that time. <laughs> anyway, um, when did you get into pipes and pipe smoking? I started smoking a pipe with some regularity back in the, in the mid seventies. My, my dad was a pipe smoker, uh, for many, many years. And, uh, you know, watching him smoke his pipe and what was something that, uh, you know, when I became of age, I said, Hey pop, how about, uh, how about let me have one of your pipes? So he opened up the drawer, and I mean, there was some ragged-looking stuff in there, as I recall. <laughs> um, but he gave me a pipe, and he liked to smoke, back then, Philosopher Tobacco. Ooh. From the tender box. Uh, there was a tender box in, in, in Charlotte that, that, that he and I would go to. And uh, so he gave me an old pipe that I think he purchased when he was still in college. He went to uh, Wake Forest University. And there was a pipe store in Winston-Salem. And I'm thinking maybe it was Pipes Etc. or something to that effect. And he had several pipes that he bought when he was in college, and that was the one he gave me. And we stuck some tobacco in it, and there you go. Now, this, so if anybody's ever seen you at a pipe show, you're you're kind of known for estate pipes and new but you kind of cater towards the higher end uh you know the artisans and some of the higher some of the harder to get collectibles 
Uh, how does somebody from Troy, North Carolina, four traffic lights, well, you know, get into artisan handmade high grade pipes while being the, you know, the while being a deputy with one bullet? Well, uh, it, it started with uh, Troy Police Department. Um, we would work seven days out of fourteen days. Uh, that that would be what our shift rotation was. And on my off days, I had various jobs. You know, we, we, me and several other fellows, we washed windows and did various odd jobs to to make some additional money. And coming from the insurance business and the law enforcement, that was a pretty dramatic drop in pay. Yeah. Needless to say, so we had to. I had to look at some other opportunities. Well, I had some some old pipes, and this would have been probably in the mid '80s late or mid excuse me mid 90s and i just had them and i said well i'm just gonna clean them up you know although way back in the in the 70s i did clean clean some pipes but nothing like uh nothing like i do today obviously so i had some pipes and i cleaned them up best i could with what tools i had which you know were rudimentary at best uh nail files and adrenal tool and things like that and i started selling them on ebay and there for a while ebay was was you know a, another source of income for us well as things progressed um i got out of it for a little while and then i'm trying to remember the name of that place it was in winston-salem it's called cook's flea market and I, I, I always enjoyed going to the antique shops and looking around flea markets and stuff. Well, we stumbled onto a guy that had a bunch of pipes. Uh-oh. And, you know, the light went off. So I, I, I think I spent five or six bucks a pipe and bought maybe, I don't know, 100 pipes or something like that. And that's, that's what started the career moving forward, uh, selling them on eBay there is a big antique market in Hillsville, Virginia. Uh, I can't remember if it's Memorial Day, but it's a Labor Day weekend. And he said, Robert, you need to come on up here because I'll have some more pipes up there. Well, we drove up there. I just had my had surgery on, on my right knee. And this thing covers like 300 acres. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. and, he, and he told us where he would be so here i am in crutches sweating like crazy looking for this guy's booth well we finally found his booth and i go in there and he said hey man here's a box of pipes go through them well i was just looking through them you know here's this pipe and this pipe you know lower end the medium end pipes and then i picked up a pipe and i looked at it and i said wow this is a Dunhill. And I looked at it, and I looked at the bowl. I said, you know, this thing really hadn't even been smoked. So needless to say, I just started counting the pipes out, and I made the guy off on the whole box, and I, I bought the whole box. Well, there was a little place to sit down and get something to drink close by, so I dug through that box right quick and pulled out that Dunhill and looked at it, and it was an unsmoked, patent <laughs> Dunhill. You know, it was in magnificent shape. I said, well, 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 I've got something here. So we got back home. I got it polished up a little bit and um, put it on eBay. And, you know, it sold for just an astronomical amount. <laughs> and I'm thinking, okay, I've been selling these pipes, these $15, $18, $20 pipes. I have an idea now. <laughs> I made I made more on this one pipe than I did on selling a hundred of the other pipes. Yeah. <laughs> so you know that that's when I started getting interested in, in the higher grades uh, because you know back back then you could still still find some deals. It's getting harder to do now, but you know they they were out there, and that's really what. You know, got me to looking at, at the higher end types. 
that's a perfect place for us to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk more with Robert Lawing, the Law Dog. A Savinelli pipe is a testament to a long legacy, fortified by well-worn hands and destined to be enjoyed for generations. For over 150 years, Savinelli has been dedicated to sourcing the world's finest briar, committed to pushing the boundaries of pipe design, and devoted to the tradition of Italian pipe making. Savinelli is more than a mark. They're a way to help you make your mark. And like you, there can only be one Savinelli. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show visiting with the one and only Law Dog who uh, uh, you're not exactly a small guy when you see him at a pipe show, so uh, you won't miss him. Big, tall, round, uh, big goatee, uh, which I imagine is just getting longer and longer nowadays. It gets longer and longer, but but I do have to put it in, in what Lynn calls a chin bun. <laughs> when I go down to the shop, because I have had several hairs jerked out by some of the equipment I use. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but occasionally you might find some food in there, too. Well, you know, you never can tell. Yeah, yeah. All right, so you so you were selling on and off of eBay. When was the, when was the first time you went to a pipe show? You know... Actually, the first pipe show I went to, I went with my father, not as a seller, but as a spectator um, in Charlotte. Tom McCraney put on a show there uh, right off I-85, McCraney's Pipe Shop. I I think they opened up in the late 70s, early 80s, there at the Park Road Shopping Center. And uh, we had visited over there, Dad and I did, several times. And Tom had a sign posted that we were going to have a pipe show. I don't remember the name of the show, but uh, we went there. And that, that's actually the first time I met uh, Bill Taylor. Uh, Tom <laughs> had brought him over uh, to the Charlotte show. And uh, <clears throat> I said, you know, this, this is pretty interesting. Then, you know, fast forward to about 2000 and uh probably five or six i guess was the first chicago show we did now you got into some of the artisan pipe makers and i mean how'd you how'd you find them and and how do you determine which one you know which one you're going to try at the richmond pipe show probably in 2009 maybe uh, it could have been to 2010. Uh, we had decided to attend that, that show at the Holiday Inn, so we had gone up on a Wednesday before the show uh, just to take a like a vacation. The Richmond Pipe Show was always a vacation week for us. Yeah. And during that time, you know, that they had a lot of get-togethers and meetings and groups and. Uh, you know, fun, just, just fun time before the show. And I came out or I came down and Lynn had already gone down and she was sitting, sitting there talking to a, uh, gentleman and his name was Neil Roan. <laughs> and she said, Robert, come over here. I want to introduce you to this guy. Uh, hey, you know, hey, Neil, how you doing? And, <clears throat> Neil knew more about uh, more about the high end pipes than than I'd ever thought about knowing at that time. So we met Neil Roan and we met Adam Davison at at that show. And the first really artisan pipe that I ever purchased was from Adam Davison, and I still have it. Uh, and I talked to him about you know different makers, and he you know talked about you know. Jeff Grasick, and as an, I don't think Jeff was at that show, but that, there were several other artists and pipe makers there, and you know it got me interested, really, in the difference between the artists and pipe makers and the manufacturers, pipe makers, or you know, like Dunhills and Camoys and things like that. And that kind of started you down this road. 
Um, yes, it, and it's been a terrible road, a terribly expensive <laughs> road, but go ahead. <laughs> now, you have, besides the uh, besides the law dog business side of it, you also have your own personal collection of pipes, and your wife's not listening now. Do you know how many pipes you own? Uh, are you saying my wife is not within earshot of, uh, of this? Uh, absolutely, she is, and I would say less. <laughs> less than 200 how do you figure how do you figure out if uh you know because you obviously over the years you've probably had more pipes than that but how do you figure out if a pipe needs to get traded off or sold off really if it's one that that i stop reaching for on a regular basis it pretty much uh Go, you know, goes up for sale. And, and the older I get, uh, Brian, I, I'll tell you, you know, I've whittled down the number of pipes to probably 30. And those are probably the ones that I will keep until they go on to a different steward than myself. Yeah, so you so you've narrowed you've narrowed it down to the to the bare to the quality that you like, and you just yeah, you know the quality I like, the shapes I like. I, I'm a big Virginia Perique smoker, uh, so most of them are are dedicated to Virginia Perique tobaccos. Uh, I have two or three that I smoke for the English blends and Balkan blends in, but uh, it, it's only two or three. Now let, let's go over to the law dog side of this because you're, you know, I, I'm going to, most of what I see you do is posting stuff on Facebook. And then, of course, every time I see you at a pipe show, I got to make a beeline for your table. Not to look at your <laughs> pipes, but to give your wife a hug and a kiss. Uh, I understand completely. A couple of times. Um, does, so are you, you're buying and selling and sourcing pipes and doing all that stuff? Oh, yeah. All, all, on a regular and continual basis. Over the years, I've, I've built up a fairly substantial client base, and, and many of those are high-end high end collectors. And a lot of these guys are divesting at this time to, as well because they don't want the pipe to end up at a yard sale or in the trash can, Yeah, which does happen. Or I think a lot of them realize that they just need to narrow it down to, you know, a manageable collection because you don't need to have four or five hundred pipes when you can't smoke that many. Uh, I absolutely agree with that. As a matter of fact, I've got a number of guys that uh, that I purchased pipes from that that's exactly what they're doing. So take us through your your kind of process for when a pipe comes in, you you do a full restoration cleaning on it? You know, it really depends on, on what the client is, is asking me to do. 99% of my clients want a full restoration. And it's really, for me, it's about a 10-step process. Um, and most of it is done is done by hand. Uh, obviously, once the pipe reaches reaches the, the shop is cataloged, uh, and then I take photographs of, of every pipe from all angles, uh, and I do measurements all on the pipe. Uh, you know, I check for any obvious issues, uh, and you know some some of the biggest issues I find when I'm cataloging the pipe is where the stem and shank connect. Whoever had cleaned the pipe prior or before it got to me, uh, you know, the stem will be rounded off at the tenon end. Yep. And, you know, so, so I make, you know, I make copious notes of, of, of any issues that I see, uh, you know, before I start start the process and you know without going in, into a lot of boring detail uh you know i go through a lot of pipe cleaners <laughs> now, 
Now, a when you later. let's go back for a minute because when you talk about the stem being rounded or something, that that's is that from over buffing of the stem over the years and then it won't match up to the shank anymore exactly? Well, you know, I think there there are, there are a lot of quote unquote restoration folks out there, and you know. The, the restoration process, in my mind, there's a tremendous learning curve, or, or, or it was for me. And one thing I learned is you cannot buff or polish or really clean a stem without altering it, its shape, especially on the ends and the button and everything. If the stem is off the pipe, because it will round the end off, especially if you're using a buffing machine, if you put too much pressure on it. And uh, it's just, uh, you know, it's just one of those little pet peeves yeah. that, 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 that I have. Yeah, and what you're, and so what you're talking about is that, you know, keeping that, uh, that junction there and that, that fitting just as perfect as possible so that it doesn't look a little weird. Yeah, oh, you know, exactly. And another thing is, you, is that you see a lot of guys, or, or I won't say a lot of guys, some guys, that, uh, that will buff the final polish or whatever they're doing with the stem all on the, you know, connected to the shank, and the finish will be removed on the shank. Yeah. Right there, and I'm going. You know, I, I'm not sure what this person was thinking when when they did this, but uh, you know, that's one of those learning processes that over the years that uh, I, I'm very diligent not letting that happen. Yeah, so you'll see a variation in the shank size, and then the stain looks a little different because it's buffed down to almost fresh wood again. Uh, same thing happens on the bowl on the rim of the bowl too, where you got to be really careful to keep the shape of the pipe. Oh sure, yeah. You know, I think a lot of folks uh, just take that uh, that buffing wheel and put that uh, bowl top on there to get the tars and the residue off of it. That you know, round both the outside uh, rim of the bowl and the interior rim around the chamber. Yeah, so you, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that goes into making sure that it's staying in its original shape while making it nice and clean again. Well. Which you know, it's what it's what I try to do. I you know, I try to restore a pipe to as close of new condition as I can get it. You know, if it has uh, you know, some some dings or dents or whatever the case is, you know, of course I can remove those. But uh, you know, I wanna make the best parts of the pipe that I have stay the best. And I want you know try to lessen the impact of the of the issues that the pipe and make them look as good as they can without doing a remodel on the pipe. I don't like to to resand or top bowls or you know things like that. That just doesn't trip my trigger. <laughs> Shorten the shanks. Um, yeah. Over the years, you've you've had to have seen thousands and thousands of pipes come through. Are there are there like two pipes that stand out in your memory as just incredible pieces that you've got to touch and play with? Actually, there are are two pipes that uh, that stick out in my memory, and both of them were boat hoard pipes. <laughs> oh boy! One of them was a smooth, and one of them was a sandblast, and they had uh, you know they had a tremendous amount of cake built up on on the inside of them which is always a concern because you never know what you're going to find underneath uh, a tobacco bowl that, that has a lot of cake in it. Uh, a lot of times you'll find, you know, cracking and uh, I forget what some of these guys call it. Uh, I, can't, I can't remember what, what they call it now. He, he, heat stress fractures or whatever. Yeah. But, uh, so, so, you know, on pipes like that, you have to be really really careful not only because of the value of the pipe uh but you don't want to do the pipe any harm and, and good luck replacing it if you goof it up well you know that that's one of the caveats that, that i have uh 
that the risk is on the client, uh, I will take every care possible. But, uh, you know, if something happens to the pipe, then um, it just happens. And and you're also got to be worried because a, a Bow Nord pipe sells for almost what an average house sells for there in Troy, North Carolina. Well, that's that that's true. But you know, I I treat every pipe I get in, whether it's a you know low end or a high end, basically the same, uh, because I know that the client that sent it to me, and uh, and his or her mind. You know, this is something that they either have sentimental attachment to or, you know, it's a pipe that, that they've purchased. And, you know, to to them, it means a great deal. Yeah. If it means a great deal to them, it means a great deal to me. So you, you buy and sell and then you also do uh, cleanings and and restoration services. Do you have a basic price point for just a standard Riemann clean? and and? Well, you know, not not really. Uh, I, I think probably you know thirty dollars, thirty five and up, depending upon the pipe and uh, you know how much time it's going to take. Because most of the pipes that I restore, you know, very rarely see a buffer except for the final polish. Everything's done done by hand, so it's a time consuming process of love. Obviously, it's not something that I make a tremendous amount of money on because I might spend, you know, 15 hours doing a restoration on a really high-end pipe. And besides the pipe shows, where can we go to see what pipes you might have for sale? You know, on Facebook is where I put put most of them. Uh, It's Law Dogs Pipes Facebook page. I am working on a website to live with a fella, but, you know, I'm kind of an old dog and a new trick type thing. Um, <laughs> and, and I really don't like to have to depend on, on a webmaster to, you know, to help me do, do things. I might be up at 3 o'clock in the morning and get a pipe finished and take a photograph and put it on Facebook, but I'm not going to wait, you know, a week for a web guy to put one on there. Robert Long, the law dog, we will wrap this up with the fast five final questions. No right answer, no wrong answer, just whatever comes to your mind. Are you ready? I'm ready. What is your favorite pipe? Uh, my, my favorite pipe currently is a pipe my dad owned uh, um, while he was alive. It's a Jacano uh, Rusticated Knight, large uh. billiard. And what is your favorite tobacco? My favorite tobacco is 5100. All right. What's your favorite tobacco that's readily available? (laughs) (laughs) My favorite tobacco that's readily available, I just got a pound of it in, is McBaron's Club Blend Roll Cake. What is your favorite drink? Coffee. Black? Uh, No, you know, I'm kind of a... I'm a sweetener and cream guy. Oh boy! Well. Oh boy! The people are look. Look at this big rough looking guy. He wants a he wants sweetener and cream and his uh, coffee. But you know that's that is what it is. Well, I could tell stories about you that would knock that big that big gruff guy's uh, image right out of people's heads, but. <laughs> uh, when it's time to relax, do you prefer a book, a movie, or music? music and then finally do you have a favorite pipe smoking related memory that we haven't talked about yeah as a matter of fact i do a pipe smoking memory just a couple of weeks ago there was a uh, pipe get together on zoom on, on the computer yep uh i don't remember if it was seattle pipe club yeah you know i believe it was seattle pipe club and there was a gentleman on there who's a client of mine. And, you know, we were talking back and forth and everybody's interjecting this, that, or the other. And somebody asked me uh, what kind of pipes I enjoyed. I said, well, you know, I am a, I, I lean towards small, small pipes. I'm a small pipe smoker. 
<laughs> and this guy spoke up and he said, I, I beg your pardon, Robert, but you're a large pipe smoker. I said, okay, let, let me rephrase this. I'm a large pipe smoker that enjoys smaller pipes. <laughs> and you could put a Magnum next to you and it looks small anyway. Well, <laughs> you're exactly right. I, I'm, I'm a pretty big fella. The uh, the Facebook page is L A W D O G S pipes law dogs pipes. If you uh, send <laughs> send Robert Long a friend request, and you'll see pictures of him attending uh, tea parties and uh, other uh, other things with the uh, with his true passion of these days, which is his granddaughter. So, absolutely, brother. Yeah, you want to see it. You want to see a six foot plus couple hundred pound guy turn into a bowl of jello? Just wait until he starts putting those pictures up. But uh, yeah, I hope to see you soon on the road somewhere. Uh, and uh, yeah, always good, always good talking to you. It's good talking to you, Brian. I, I appreciate it very much, and I enjoyed it. And we'll be back in just a minute. Have a look in your tobacco cellar. What do you see? Think of what you smoke, what you age, what you're drawn to in a blend that keeps you wanting more. That's your taste. And whether you know it or not, you've been leading that expedition since you first picked up a pipe, just by smoking what you like and liking what you smoke. But the funny thing about taste, it changes, and you need a wide selection to accommodate it. We at Smoking Pipes know this, and you know it too. So whether you're searching for a tried and true favorite or a singular boutique mixture, we're here to help you navigate the voyage of your evolving tastes. But you're still at the helm. Smoking Pipes, in faithful service of the hobby. This is Internet Radio. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show. And, of course, you can still find uh, all of uh, the Law Dog stuff online and uh, on Facebook. So check him out there. All right. For music, uh, Walter Piston is a, uh, Amer- was an American composer primarily of classical music and was a professor of music at Harvard. He uh, passed away in November 1976. But this one piece in particular that I found was kind of fun, and Walter was a pipe smoker, and uh, this is it's a it's a piece he wrote. It was commissioned by the American Bandmasters Association, and it's a piece for a symphonic band. It's called Tunbridge Fair, and I found a recording of it on YouTube, and it's the president's own the U.S. Marine Corps band. Um, I've heard these guys perform once before live, and let me tell you, they are sharp and on it. So here is uh, the president's own U.S. Marine Band doing Walter Piston's Tunbridge Fair. Thank you. 
To find more of Walter Piston, uh, the last name is P-I-S-T-O-N. And if you're on YouTube, well, the United States Marine Band has their own YouTube, uh, YouTube page, and there's a lot of fun stuff to listen to. Message from the dark side there is. And before we get to the mailbag, uh, let me just say I had a lot of fun on uh, last Friday night hanging out on uh, the Zoom meeting or whatever platform meeting that was, but it was the uh, This Pipe Life group. Um, apparently, because I was coming on, we had, uh, well, Max Stokeby is a regular, kind of, and uh, his dad Eric showed up, and then uh, Bo York showed up. So it was a lot of fun, and... Uh, it was a great time to hang out with that group. I'm, I'm hoping, uh, I may just, uh, I may just video bomb them in the future. All right. Uh, regular mailbag, uh, Gotham wrote me a while back and, uh, said that, uh, he, you know, how much he's enjoying the show and, and that's always nice to hear, but he asked a question and he said, I, I do have a, I, I do have a question that may or may not be worthy of the podcast. What does ash color signify about a particular tobacco, if anything? Uh, over the years, I've read missives on the web about how a particularly spectacular pipe smoking experience was punctuated by the tobacco in the bowl smoldering to a white ash. I've always wondered if that phenomenon is meaningful in any way besides an aesthetic one. I thought ash color was more representative of temperature of the smoke, perhaps the hotter the fire, the more whitish, or other molecular chemical aspects of the tobacco. Some tobaccos may never turn entirely white when burned because of their chemical composition. Well, um, here's what I know, and here's what I think, and uh, here's my opinion, which I am the leading expert on my own opinion. Uh, the white of the ash has to do with the constitutional, with the makeup of the tobacco, all right? It has to do with what's in the blend. It has to do with the, um, I, I don't want to say purity, but uh, I think that's the best word for it, the purity of the leaf. Because anytime you add any chemicals or additives to it, those are going to change the color of the ash. All right. If you if you notice on a um, on some of your tobaccos that maybe more on the aromatic side, the smoke may be a little blue and the ash may turn a little grayer. Well, that's from the glycerin or the moisture additives that are on there. So in my book, white ash has to do with the age and purity of the tobacco that you've smoked. And I am very, very familiar with my uh, McClellan Acadian ribbon, and I have never had it smoked down to a white ash. And I'm pretty sure that's because the Perique in it has a very pungent darkness to it. So that's going to come out there, too. Uh, I think in a, maybe in an English blend, the Latakia may affect the coloring if it's relatively young. But as it ages, that Latakia is going to lose a lot of those uh, smoked characteristics in it and will help it darken up. All right. So there you go. There's my answer to that. Um, I hope if, you, if anybody else has any ideas, you know, shoot me a message or uh, let me know. I'm happy to uh, post them here. All right, uh, got a couple of uh, comments and questions that got uh, lost or waylaid. And going back to episode 382 with Paul Allen, uh, Wade writes, Great episode. I'm heading straight to Amazon to purchase my copy of When Tobacco Was King. I'm sure it will be an interesting read. I've been smoking a pipe since 1979, but it probably took me another 10 years to figure out what that little poker thing was for. Uh, and he's going back to my discussion of tampers and picks. Uh, and he goes on to say, I knew the obvious function, clearing out a plugged mortise, but it wasn't until I was in a tobacco shop and dumping out an overly packed pipe that an old timer said, why don't you just poke some air holes with your poker? Aha, it finally made sense what the main function of the poker was. Yeah, and uh, going back to tongue bite, if you've gotten packed too tight, uh, use that poker to, to just, you know, get some air holes going through there and loosen up that blend. Um, going back to last week, uh, last week's show with, uh, with Fred Berger on, uh, Casey Ghostwrites, very enjoyable show. I never knew that ST DuPont and Davidoff made pipes. 
I can't imagine they could make enough to satisfy the profits their investors demand. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they were worried about, uh, well, probably. Um, my And then... Uh, and then Dan goes on to say, my wife would love to smoke Davidoff cigarettes again, but you just can't get them reliably since they quit servicing the U.S. Uh, the ST DuPont company makes great lighters, but are very pricey. Enjoyed the interview with Fred. Uh, Fred seemed to be very humble and a real nice person. I think he was afraid to tell us actually how many pipes he has, but I suspect, I suspect it's well over 500. Popeye the Sailor was something of a treat for those of us who are long in the tooth. And I thought that Popeye thing was fun, too. Uh, and, Dan, you can tell your wife that uh, I've had some Davidoff cigarettes in the last five, six years, and they're terrible. So she's not missing anything. Um, and then going back to uh, going back to the hockey show, uh, Wade writes, Like many citizens of the United States, I was completely ignorant of what the lines on a hockey rink were all about. I now have a rudimentary understanding of what they mean, as well as many other aspects of the game that Michael Parks provided. I'm new to the radio talk show, Brian, and I'm working my way backwards through the episodes and making sure that I catch the new ones each week. I'm enjoying them very much. The content is excellent and interesting, and I even enjoy the commercials. Thanks for keeping the ads pipe and tobacco oriented. Uh, I've taken advantage of a couple of them already. Food for thought is an excellent idea, Brian. Man cannot live by pipes and tobaccos alone. Well, he can actually, but these diversions are nice. Anyway, I've fired up a bowl. I'm relaxing on the patio, and I've got my next episode of the radio talk show queued up. Well, thank you, Wade. Welcome to the group. Uh, don't spend too much time on those really early shows please. Um, food for thoughts are still coming. Uh, still got more to do and more coming up. So I hope you're enjoying those. Remember, it's just an unedited, an unedited off topic thing, just something that might be interesting or, you know, stimulate a little, uh, a few thought ideas for you. Um, also while you're on the internet, uh, the Peterson pipe company has a brand new website. They're just released the new website this week. More on that on, uh, pipesmagazine.com, or you can go directly to the Peterson website and check that out. And, uh, as we are all still dealing with stuff, I am also still asking for donations for the, uh, JDRF, the juvenile diabetes research foundation fundraiser that we normally do. And uh, we'll we'll run those as soon as I feel like things have kind of settled down. But if you have anything, please email me, brian at pipesmagazine.com. If you're interested in uh, traveling later this year, early next year, or next year at all, email me, brian.levine at mei-travel.com. That is uh, still going. All right, in just a moment, rant time. There's nothing quite like fishing at dawn or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. Not so much of a rant is more as I'm I'm saddened. I'm saddened by the uh, by CBS, the Columbia Broadcast System, the, the television network, and I'm saddened by them because a show that I started watching, oh, you know, just about two years ago now, a show called God Friended Me, and it's based on a uh, based on a young guy living in New York City, and he does a podcast, and he all of a sudden starts getting these friend requests from God and friend suggestions from God. And for those of us that are older, it's kind of like um, the, the Michael Landon TV show, Highway to Heaven, except it uses uh, Facebook as the, uh, as the way God communicates to this guy. And then, and then he and his friends do things that, <laughs> that are not normal. You know, it, it's, all right, it's a, it's a drama and it's fictional drama and it was just fun. But uh, they would, you know, they'd help these people that were in trouble and each week it would all end up in a, you know, end up helping everybody. And it was just a good lighthearted show 
that had some dramatic moments and most of the time everything worked out perfectly fine but it had some good characters and it was an enjoyable simple family show that had a nice long plot line and good stories and sometimes some unexpected twists and turns and it was just nice that's all i can say about it it was nice nobody you know not nobody got shot killed murdered whatever no nothing was blowing up on a regular basis it was just good basic stories about people well apparently cbs decided not to renew it so they rushed to do a uh, two uh, a two show series finale and it's over so cbs i'm just sad with you you know really do we have to have everything be flashier ruder louder bigger no just simple stories are just perfectly fine and i enjoyed it and i will miss it so uh, if you want to go back i think some of it's available on on demand it's called god friended me all right, uh, please leave an iTunes rating and a review for us. If you haven't done that yet, we would greatly appreciate that. Share the Pipes Magazine radio show with all your friends and family and all your enemies and uh, keep those uh, comments coming. I do love getting them. I uh, hope you are enjoying the food for thoughts. Uh, thank you to Robert Long for joining me. Thank you all for tuning in. And until next time. the clouds when we're together just sing a song and think about sunny weather Now, Mr. Kansas Law Dog. Law don't go around here. Savvy? I'm retired.